me and look to 1 Timothy as we're looking at the end of the chapter, the first chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want to begin in verse 17 and read four verses there. As you're turning, I'll just make mention that Paul's letter to Timothy is moving us to one direction. And that is that we ought to see how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. That's where Paul is wanting Timothy to be singular in his mindset, that God has given truth to the church, and that truth holds up not just the church and the individuals of the church, but it holds up the opportunity for life for all people. And so that truth that has been entrusted to us is a living truth. It tells us not only what we receive and believe, but how we behave as believers of Christ and how we demonstrate that new life that we are given in Christ Jesus. So that's where he's moving. This is the church's mandate that we would be immovable in God's word, which that doesn't sound like a, a big statement, uh, but in light of today's Christianity, it is absolutely huge. The church must be immovable. And Paul was absolutely shocked and revolted that church leaders have become shifty in God's doctrine. And he's calling Timothy to not be like that. And he's calling Timothy to stand out differently and actually bring charges against those elders who had moved away from the good doctrine that had been delivered to them by he and the apostles. Even though false teaching is rampant in the U.S. culture, we should be no less appalled than the apostle Paul was in his day that this false doctrine had made its way into the life of the church. As Southern Baptists, we should be aghast that there are still a number of denominations who do not hold to biblical truth the breaking apart of biblical institutions like marriage and family and identifying them differently than the way God identifies them is a big indicator that we have come unhinged from truth, the pillars of truth. So we should be deeply grieved and offended when that kind of thing happens in church life. When teachers of God's word proclaim another way of salvation other than the only way through Christ Jesus, through his grace in our faith, to his glory. We should be highly offended when there is another gospel proclaimed. And we should be deeply grieved when pastors and teachers are profane and untruthful and immoral or when they make their consumerism of faith, of wealth and health and prosperity the forefront by which they communicate God's gospel. Let's be reminded, church, that false teachers teach a doctrine of demons. You and I need to recognize that it flows from the dark and evil intentions of Satan, who is the father of lies. We ought not think of errant teaching as just a difference of opinion or a misguided understanding of scripture. No, my friends, there is a systematic way in which the enemy works to deceive people and he does through untruthfulness and mischaracterizations and misrepresentations of scripture. We should know that such untruthfulness about God's word is part of 
the enemy's strategy to undermine the kingdom of God and keep as many people on a broad pathway that leads to destruction as possible. By God's design, the church and the leaders within the church are to be solidly, biblically grounded, upholding the truth of God and living it consistently. Knowing that was not occurring among those in the early church there in Ephesus, Paul writes very specifically to Timothy. Look with me again in verse 17. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. The Apostle Paul and Pastor Timothy had a long relationship. At the point where he is writing this epistle to his young mentee, they have been in relationship for a decade and a half. Paul had purposefully spent a few years with Timothy, investing into him, pouring into him the apostolic truths. Think for a moment about all the ways in which Paul had charged Timothy to live well. If you took those statements, those direct instructional statements from this book, 1 Timothy, which is short, if you took those and, and listed them out, it would include a great number, 15 to 20 of them. He would tell him very directly things like this, be mature, be chaste, be vigilant, be respectful, be a good teacher, be teachable. I mean, it just goes on and on telling him how he ought to live his life. Now coming to the end of this first chapter of the epistle, Paul gives a very definitive direction to him saying, be a good soldier. He tells him to wage the good warfare. You and I have the same call. And the call is that you and I would wage good warfare, the good warfare. In fact, I would say that you're not gonna be able to be all that Christ encourages you to be or demands you to be, mature, chaste, vigilant, self-controlled, all those things that are listed for us in the epistles. You are not gonna be able to do that unless you are seeing yourself and acting as a good soldier fighting the good warfare. But being a good warrior of Christ is often overlooked in today's church. I can remember it like it was yesterday, coming into the church for vacation Bible school and singing songs like Onward Christian Soldier. Remember those kind of songs? Listen to the lyrics. I think they're worthy for us to ponder for a moment. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. At the name of Jesus, Satan's host doth flee. Then on, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Crowns and thrones may perish. Kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. 
gates of hell can never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise which can never fail. Onward then, ye people, join our happy throng. Blend with ours your voices in triumph song. Glory, laud, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing. We ought to sing songs about being warriors, waging the good war that God has called us to wage. We are warriors waging a battle, and the battle is for truth. God help us. If political correctness has convinced us that we are anything other than soldiers for Christ, we are Christ's soldiers. Lord, have mercy on today if we have an impotent false gospel propagated in the Western society of Christianity and that has wooed us to lay down our weapons, stop fighting the spiritual battles and discontinue marching and advancing the gospel of the kingdom throughout the world. We are warriors waging a battle of truth. But when we stop being warriors, then we lose generations. And if this current generation stops being a warrior for truth, we will lose the current generation, the generation we love. When we are spiritual pacifists, then darkness envelops more territory and with it more people. Therefore, we must recognize that there is a battle going on before us and we must be willing to fight the battle with the sword of the Spirit in our hand. May we engage with great truth. Paul told Timothy to be a warrior of the good warfare. Now you might notice that there is a definite article in front of warfare in other words, this isn't just any war. He's not telling us to be fighting in a war that is uncommon to him. This is a war that is specific to him. It's the good war of the gospel, of truth. And that war is led and fought victoriously by Jesus himself. So there was a battle taking place in the day in which Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus. And that battle was for the souls of people and for the church itself at Ephesus. Satan had waged an attack with his evil horde against the church through leading men to teach a gospel that was contrary to the scripture, contrary to the apostles' teaching. And Timothy was to stand and fight the good warfare with the sword of the spirit in his hand and the belt of truth wrapped around his waist. Man, do we ever need warriors today waging the good warfare, warriors to receive the call and the command of the Lord's army, Jesus himself. And Timothy readily received that call and he was noble in that call, fought that fight with great duty and with great perseverance. He recognized the call and the commission that had been entrusted to him. Look at those words again, it's powerful. Verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And let's just pause for a minute and think about these prophecies that have been proclaimed in Timothy's life. If you remember, Jesus made, there's a, a distinction that Jesus made in Luke 16, verse 16, where he says, when you look back, there was a time of the law and the prophets that were leading to this moment when the kingdom of God 
is at hand where John the Baptist pointed out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The law and the prophets were moving to that point and there was a great transition that happened with Christ Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God and now that proclamation, he, he's announcing not just his kingdom, but his words are God's truth. Uh, the scripture would say that the foundation of the church are the words of the prophets and the apostles. They were laying down that foundation. Uh, what you and I hold right now is the New Testament and the Old Testament, both testaments of Christ, both leading to Christ, pointing him out. Once we have this word canonized, once it is given to us in its fullness and it's complete, then the work of the apostles is now complete and the work of the prophets is now complete. But at the time in which Timothy was called to ministry, the work of the apostles and the prophets was very much continuing. And I don't know exactly all that transpired in the moment in which prophets were proclaiming to Timothy that he would be commissioned as a pastor of the church I don't know exactly how that transpired but it was significant enough that Paul said Timothy when you're a little wiggly on this call when you're a little squeamish of this duty when you're wondering if it's worth the effort of the fight go back to that moment where God was speaking to you about your life and your call and the commission that I've given to you as well as others the prophets who have spoken into your life so he says to him I charge you I charge you Timothy the word in the original language is para angelia and it is a, a directive that comes from an an upper officer to those who are engaging in battle so you've got a commander who gives a direct command to a soldier and it's not like he's asking him hey do you want to do this do you want to pick up your weapons and fight it's not a, the commander tells the one who is fighting exactly what he is to do and he charges him to do that and that's what Paul is doing to Timothy he is charging him giving him a military order I'm just going to go out here on a limb for a moment and say that generally the church can't stomach that kind of gospel charge. Very few people will subject themselves to such an oath and duty of Christianity, but this is what the call is for the church today. That we would know the call of God, the charge of God, the duty that we have belonging to God, and that we would take up arms, which is the sword of the Spirit, and we would fight for truth. Fight for what God has provided for us in Christ Jesus. Many people in the 21st century church prefer rotation of ministry rather than a commission of ministry. We'd rather use words like volunteer rather than minister. In addition, many people want the ability to opt out if things get a little bit difficult. But Timothy was not such a person. He was to be called to remain in this church at Ephesus regardless of what was coming against him. And he saw it as his diligent duty to stay in the fight and to fight with tenaciousness. Meadowbrook needs tenacious people like Timothy, people who will accept the call of the gospel, duty, and stay the course no matter how difficult the fight might get. I just want to ask you outright, will you be that person? Will you be that person of faith to stay and fight? 
to not back away, to not settle into your call of duty? Will you be that person? As I was thinking through the week about this proclamation and what God was bringing for us today in this scripture, I began to ask him, Lord, would you raise up this one? Would you charge that one? Would you commission her? Would you call him? And the answer is yes. He does that for all of us and he gives that to all of us. You say, well, I don't know. I'm not much of a fighter. Oh, you are in the fight. Whether you're fighting or not, the fight has come to you. The moment you came into this world, you began a fight. Since you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that fight has been settled, the victory has been granted to you, and the weaponry of your victory is now belonging to you in Christ Jesus. So why are you not fighting? Why are you not standing in truth? Why are you not holding your ground that Christ Jesus has given to you? Why do you not sense the darkness enveloping the world right now, the division that is constant? Why are you not heralding the gospel? Why are you not being the light? This is what the call is for us. Our duty is to fight, to know truth, to hold to truth, and to live the truth gloriously. Oh, that Meadowbrook would rise to the occasion and be the church willing to fight, not back down, but fight. We need pastors and ministers willing to serve faithfully, even if they have to do it alone. We need life group leaders and teachers who will teach the whole counsel of biblical truth, even though the culture and maybe even their attendees prefer not to deal with the complex and controversial subjects that are given to us in the Bible. Have you noticed, by the way, that every now and then, Lifeway won't even fight? Lifeway will wiggle out and not even print some of the things that you and I need to be given to in the scripture. If it's controversial, they'll just skip a little bit around. In our curriculum that we write, we go verse by verse by verse. We're not going to hold back. Just because the culture might get a little squeamish, God's truth needs to be known, doesn't it, church? And so we take the truth for what God has given as it has been given to us and we march forward with that truth we want it to be in our lives and the lives of people around us because we recognize the blessings of God are given to those who obey the word of God we need lay ministers unswayed by difficulty when ministry gets a little rattled we need them to be focused and fulfilling the call of Christ and this church and this community in a glorious way. We need students that are grounded in the truth of the gospel and bosses and employees and friends who not just know the Bible and the standards of the Bible, but purpose to live out those standards in a righteous way by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In a culture that is increasingly cynical about the claims of objective truth, Damage is done when the church's behavior suggests that it does not believe the objective truths that we supposedly uphold. You know what that's saying? It's saying that we not only need to know the truth and hold the truth, we better be true to the truth. Let it be expressed in our words and our attitudes and the people around us. Meadowbrook, rise to the occasion, to the call of duty to serve the King and Lord Jesus Christ Christians who are duty bound don't quit and they are undeterred by what takes place around them though their assignments may change they stay the course to serve Christ faithfully some of you 
have experienced significant battles in ministry. And I know some of you have wounds and pains because you're a soldier of Christ. The enemy has attacked you. And though you have given yourself to service to Christ and his church, others have vilified you and spoken harshly about you and lied about you and belittled you. May I humbly remind you and charge you by the words that are given to us in this text today what the enemy does to you does not change your call or your commission in any way. You are to execute the duties of the Christian soldier faithfully regardless of the challenges that come your way. You may feel discouraged and weary and tired, but my fellow soldiers, Jesus, the commander of the Lord's army, has not taken his eye off you. He is attentive to your situation, and he will faithfully reward you as you stay constant in the command that he has given to you. And if needed, he will even avenge you on a day in the future. Stay the course. Stay in the, fi in the fight. You might hesitate by saying, oh, I've lost the battle. No, my friend, the outcome belongs to the Lord. What he demands of you is not victory. What he demands of you and me is faithfulness. And we leave the result up to him. Need I remind you of the last chapter of this book? The victory belongs to the Lord. Walk in the victory of Christ. Walk with confidence, walk with courage. Regardless of what you're experiencing, regardless of what they're saying, regardless of whether you sense it's victorious or not, you know how it ends. Stay the course, stay the course. Fulfill your call. Now let me give you enlightening fast ways. Three things that I want you to take away from this. If you haven't taken something yet, I need you to take these three things away. You can find them in your handout. The first is that Jesus entrusts us with his gospel ministry. He has charged us with duty. Secondly, that he has entrusted us with gospel ministry. God has entrusted every person alive in Jesus Christ with spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities. He has entrusted that with you. He has strategically placed you at a very specific time and a very specific place, entrusting you to serve faithfully. He entrusted Timothy as a pastor, and Timothy proved to be trustworthy. By the way, to entrust someone with something is to trust them with something valuable. Now, this is a rare moment, but I owe somebody 100 bucks today. But I have a $100 bill in my pocket. Actually, I owe them 120. I'm gonna give them $120 today. If that's you, good news, you've got 120 bucks coming. If I took that $100 and took it down to BBVA, Compass Bank, or whatever bank, and I put that on deposit with them, I am entrusting the $100 to them. And what I'm saying in doing so is that I am confident in you that when I ask for it, the $100 will be available to me at any moment I ask for it, it's available to me. I entrust that $100 to the bank. 
Now, when Paul charges Timothy, he is doing so saying, I entrust you. I trust you that when called upon, you are going to be faithful to bring back to me what I'm entrusting to you. This is what God is doing. He is entrusting his word in Timothy, believing that Timothy is trustworthy in order to deliver the word at God's beck and call. And if he's giving you talents and abilities and skills and experience, he is doing so because he trusts you to have that at any moment where it can be used as he wants it to be used. So every person who is alive in Jesus Christ, he has entrusted truth with, and he wants the truth back. And every person who is alive in Jesus Christ has the spirit of Christ indwelling in that individual, and he is entrusting you with his presence. He will manifest himself in very unique ways through you, and at any beck and call in ministry, he is expecting that back. And what he is asking of us, are you trustworthy? Are you trustworthy? Can I bank my truth in you and find you to be truthful back? Can I bank my spirit's presence in you and trust you to demonstrate my presence in every place that you go? Can I bank ministry in you? Now, Paul knew he could trust Timothy. And so when he's charging him, and trusting him, he does so with a great measure of confidence. Now look, you might be saying, oh Randy, man, I, I want that. I want you to trust me. I want my fellow church members to trust me. I want Jesus to trust me. Where do I start? How do I, how do I become trustworthy? Here's what I know about a rhythm of the gospel. Stop focusing on what you can do and start focusing on what Jesus has already done. Jesus has proven to be trustworthy and you can bank your life on him. And the more you bank on him, the more you'll begin to express his life in you. The more you recognize his love for you, the more loving you can be to other people. The more you know his grace given to you, the more gracious you can be to other people. The more truth you recognize God has delivered to you, the more you can engage that truth, talk about it, speak about it, and live it out in its, in its fullest expression. God had made a valuable deposit in Timothy as he has done so in us, and he wants us to be trustworthy to that as he expected Timothy to. So if God has entrusted you to be a singer and you have the gift of song, can he trust you with that? that you'll not hold it to yourself, but that you'll sing it to him. Can he trust you in the congregation of singers to sing? Can he trust you that you will sing with the choir? Can he trust you who have been given talent to play musical instruments that you will use that ability to his own good, for his own glory? Can he trust you who have become teachers who have the gift of teaching to teach his truth in a right way? Can he entrust his word to you? Can he entrust his monetary means to you? Those of you who have the ability to make money and have money and to invest money, can he trust you with that? And all the things that he has given to us, are we found trustworthy? 
God is entrusting to us and he wants us to be trustworthy. So the first is that Jesus charges us with gospel duty to live out that duty. Second, he entrusts us with gospel ministry. May we be found faithful to that. And third, it's our responsibility to keep faith in a good conscience. To keep faith is to remain steadfast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is revealed clearly in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Thus faith comes from the word of God through Christ. Romans 10, 17 says it this way. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith is not blind. Faith always has content to it. You might not be able to see it, but the content is there, which is revealed in God's word. And faith always has an object and the object is Jesus Therefore, saving faith comes to those who hear and believe the facts of the gospel and know the reality of the gospel is found in Christ Jesus. So since God has revealed his word to us and we have received faith, we are duty bound to live faithfully. This whole notion of duty seems to be vacuumed out of the church today. We're Church life and the communication of the gospel is so myopic that everybody thinks it's about them, that God's gonna give them more and a more blessed life. Listen, God wants to bless you, yes, and he has already blessed you. The blessing is in the gospel. And in that gospel, we are duty-bound to him. Duty-bound. Paul said it this way, I consider myself to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm duty-bound as a slave to serve him. Why is that? Because he had treasured in him the glory of the gospel. So God holds us responsible for keeping faith with a good conscience. Have you noticed how Paul intertwines faith and conscience all the time? It's just repeated in the scripture. In fact, three times in 1 Timothy, he repeats this, faith and conscience. With purity of doctrine comes purity of heart and mind. Those things just go together. Like Timothy, we are to guard our minds with good doctrine, that's keeping faith, and guard our hearts with holiness, that's living with good conscience. How do we do that? We guard our hearts by staying true to the Bible, believing the inerrancy and the whole counsel of the word of God as the living source in other words, we don't read the Bible selectively or progressively. We guard our faith by bending our lives to the Bible rather than attempting to bend the Bible to oblige our sinful living. Let your lives, my life, be bowed to the Bible. John MacArthur notes that there is an inseparable link between truth and morality between right belief and right behavior. Consequently, theological error has its roots in moral rather than intellectual soil. You know what he's saying there? He's saying don't be deceived. You think that somebody's mind has incorrectly thought about the scripture and then proclaimed that error it's not the mind that is the root of it all. It's the conscience. It's the moral issues within the individual who longs for the 
sin of the flesh, who longs for the waywardness of the world, who longs in rebelliousness and thereby changes the scripture to meet their moral wrongness. How do we get error in scripture? We get error in scripture by having an error of heart. Now you can see that readily in liberal Protestant denominations who have embraced the moral and sexual revolutions of the day, the dogma that has been propagated by the LGBTQ plus proponents. Over the last number of decades, many denominations have abdicated biblical authority and they have walked away from historical doctrinal orthodoxy of their churches and they have embraced the world's call to having a more inclusive religion. Let it not be so here. If I were going to summarize that bluntly, I would say people want God without God's holiness. And he doesn't allow himself to be known in any other way than to be holy. Many denominations were willing to renounce biblical truth and turn to the desires of the world. Such liberalism shipwrecks faith. And that's what Paul is warning Timothy about. The catastrophe is occurring right now in our generation with the United Methodist Church. Shipwreck of faith. In the days of Paul and Timothy, it was Hymenaeus and Alexander who attempted to steer the church and others to shipwreck faith. The fact is, Satan will always use people to lead others astray. You and I are to be decisively different. So here's our challenge from this text today. Be good soldiers fighting for truth and doctrine. Recognize we're in a fight and wage good warfare. Secondly, receive your call of duty and be trustworthy of gospel ministry, which first starts with gospel truth. And then thirdly, commit yourselves to hold faith a good conscience. I wonder, would you be that person? Would you no longer be a pacifist? Would you no longer act like it's somebody else's fight? Would you no longer put it off on some professional? And would you see it as your call? It's your call for your fight with your family, your friends, your neighborhood, your community, your state, your nation, this world. Would you see yourself for what you have been called to be? You've been called to wage the good warfare. You've been called to fight a victorious battle, to know, to speak, and to live truth. Would you recognize it? And would you see it as your duty? Oh, I'm grateful that Jesus recognized the fight and he willfully took up the arms. I'm grateful that he brought the battle right to us and said the battle belongs to me and you. The victory will be mine and I'll share it with you. I'm grateful for that. Now, out of gratitude, let it be our duty to be found faithful. Let's pray. I ask, Lord, for your grace and mercy.
and truth. I ask that it would be known in full as described in the pages of the Bible and given to us by the apostles' teaching of Christ himself. And I ask, Lord, that we would be found faithful with that truth. I pray, Lord, against the work of the enemy to bring untruthfulness to this platform and this church and these people. And I ask, Lord, that we would be well-grounded, anchored in truth, not cast to and fro with the waves of false doctrine and belief, but be steady, immovable, a pillar, a buttress, this church, for this community, for this time, and for the gathered of the saints, Lord, that you have called and given the armament of God. I thank you for that. I thank you that you've not called us to a battle that first will not be won in Jesus Christ, not called us to a battle that we will not have the weapons by which we are to prosper in it and the armament by which we will be walking and standing, marching forward. I thank you that you've made every provision. Now, Lord, I pray for faithful men and women. I pray for faithful students. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up our children, that they would see themselves as soldiers in the army of God himself and march unto Christ and carry his banner high and proclaim his truth loudly and sing his anthems richly. I pray, Lord, that there will be some who would have the glimmer of hope today that truth can abound today and that God, you have entrusted to us that truth and it's our duty to be bound to that truth and to live it out in its fullness. Let this be a group of people who will rise to the occasion. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're calling us to, for the faith needed to carry it out. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.